Hello everyone and welcome back to Eyes and the Mize. My name is John and this is a uh, addition to our uh, Pro Tour coverage. Sorry for the the long delay between several of these uh these podcast episodes. Uh had to do some recording there and I took uh yesterday kind of off just to relax cuz man, the Pro Tour is kind of tiring even when you're not playing. Uh, in any case, uh, this episode is going to be uh, the Wizards of the Coast, because at the Pro Tour I got to talk to a lot of awesome people who work for Wizards of the Coast, including Dave Humphreys, Elaine Chase, and Greg Collins, and you're about to listen to them right now. Hi, John here with Dave Humphreys. Dave, nice to meet you. Hi, hello everyone. Hopefully Nashville has been treating you well. Yeah, it's a fun city. I've never <laughs> been here before. Never been this far south, or just? Um, I've been this far south, but m- mostly along coastal cities. It seems like. Fair enough. Um, hopefully, Nashville hasn't been too bad. Hopefully, the humidity is a little kinder to you as it has been to maybe some of the other Seattleites who are coming down. Oh yeah, not a problem. It's been <laughs> great. So, Dave, you are a principal game designer at Wizards. Uh, kind of, what's that role entail as far as Magic? Um, so, a lot of my focus now is on making sets better, doing design work, uh, development work, um, sort of thinking long-term strategies about how we might put together a series of sets and have me- mechanics kind of interweave correctly and work well and lead into one another. Was this kind of an impetus from the change from three-set blocks to two-set blocks, and now that standard's going to be four of those? Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, we're spending a lot of time looking at that, figuring out how, you know, how things might need to evolve and change and work differently than it has in the past. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of my d- daily work is, you know, having, leading a particular set, like I led Amonkhet Final Design and Development. I've been recently doing a lot of the spring sets. Okay. That's really cool. Um, so when did you start working in R&D? Um, seven years ago, so yeah, 2010. And what was the first set that you worked on? Uh, the first set that I was on a team for was uh, M12, and the first set that I was on, like the start of development to the end of the development, was Innistrad, the first Innistrad. I heard that set did really well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then I, I did lead uh, Avacyn Restored development, um, so pretty shortly after I arrived, which was at least a polarizing set in some ways, <laughs> but yeah. And that was a little bit before my time. I didn't get the chance to play with that set, but I've heard this, I've heard many things about it. So. Of the cards in Amonkhet, what were some, since you said you led the final design, would you say it's fair that you had a hand in kind of all the cards? Yeah, definitely. Um, So, I mean, Ethan Fleischer was the lead of the the more traditional design and initial design. Um, So, yeah, he he had a lot of, you know, a lot of the kind of top-down, resonant, like, you know, sort of a Cleopatra analog or a King Tut analog or... Um, just a, a lot of the very flavorful cards. I'd certainly give him credit to on a lot, of, you know, Bounty of the Luxa right. and things like that. Um, yeah, and then from there, some of the mechanics. Uh, my team and I did a lot more massaging on and changing of, and like dramatically changing in some cases. Like, but you know, a lot, a lot of the trials and cartouches, the way those are working, came more from out of my team. The minus one, minus one counters themes um, really were coming from more of my team. Like. The set had been handed off with Wither, and um, that just the set wasn't playing as, as well as I would have wanted with that. And um, yeah, we, we tried some new stuff here, like you know where like you have a lot more control over it because you're actually putting minus one minus one counters on your own stuff, and that's sort of a riddle in its own way of like you know well it's, it's kind of satisfying to figure out what creatures are kind of dispensable, and then you're getting overstated creatures in exchange. Yeah, I found that those things really played well a lot in limited. Um, what's been your favorite deck? When you've been playing, either playing Amakit, either when you were 
playtesting it, getting it ready for release versus now when it's out and in the wild? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, in fairness, I don't get to play too much out in the wild. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, the Zombies deck, I think we'll see a lot of here this weekend. Uh, the Zombies deck's probably one of, yeah, like, both Black, White, or uh, Mono, Black are both pretty pretty fun new things to be doing. You get um, a very zombie-esque feel of, you know, they kind of keep coming at you more and more. They're, you know, a bunch of cool zombie lords. All right, so let's move a little bit away from Amonkhet to some other kind of big picture questions. This is one that I personally like because unlike most people, I actually like the storm mechanic. I know it has the kind of broken moniker. Uh, there, is there any possibility kind of in supplemental sets of seeing new storm or new dredge cards or is that something that's kind of off the table? Um, yeah, I mean, it's tricky to say. Um, I mean, certainly a lot of our supplemental products aren't necessarily creating new content. I mean, I guess, you know, some of our commander products and are and whatnot, but yeah, yeah I mean, our master sets are generally just going to, you know, going to be reprints. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are some outside chances here and there, especially in, like, I guess, commander-type products if, if, you know, the mechanics are a good fit for commander-type products. This is one of those where it's like, never say never, yeah, but yeah. it's kind of never. <laughs> Kind of never. I mean, there's also, I mean, unless they're really egregious mechanics, there's always a chance in standard environments. I mean, there are things like, you know, m most people would have told you that we were never going to make, like, a Madness card again, and we right. had a bunch of those, so. Yeah. And I love Shadows of Inner for what it's worth. I love the Madness, seeing Madness come back, which is one of my favorite mechanics in the set. Um, so, Kaladesh had introduced vehicles, and they kind of made a really big splash in standard. We had Smuggler's Copter. We've seen Heart of Karen now kind of taking over since Copter is left. It kind of feels like vehicles suffer from the equipment problem, where in Mirrodin, equipment were just a little too good. Do you feel like vehicles kind of suffer from that being a new type and just it being really exciting and trying to, trying to do powerful things? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's somewhat easy to say that, yeah, I mean, we, we sort of underestimated some of the vehicle designs. Um, yeah, like anytime we're really working in a new mechanical space that you know we have isn't quite analogous to anything we've had in the game before. It can be tricky. We can misgauge a little bit what the best way to build the decks are to use those cards. You know, yeah. Well, like even if you look back at some of the early Planeswalkers in terms of Jace or, yeah. or, or whatever else, like new card types are tricky. Um, you know, yeah, you know, like a lot of the early swords and yeah. um, some of that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's. There's a lot going in, like, yeah, in order to get the vehicles to work, you obviously need to have yeah. some creatures and have those surviving, and if they kill your creatures, then you, you know, you're stuck with these on the board, and, you know, certainly deck designers have figured out, you know, more than enough ways to to make sure that that's consistent, and cards like Scrap Heap, Scrounger really make it reliable. Right. Um, so, back in Magic Origins, there was a big announcement from Mark Rosewater about some of the design or development ideas shifting for core Magic things. For example... Our one mana mana creators, like our Lana Royals or Elvish Mystics, they're bumped up to two mana. Unconditional Wraths have been pushed to five mana, where you have more conditional Wraths and maybe more interesting Wraths at four mana. How has R&D felt internally about how these changes have impacted Standard or Limited, and whether it's been a good change for the game? Yeah, it's... I mean, I, I think a lot of these are great. Um, you know, some of these things will be revisited. I mean, certainly at, at some point in the future, we'll, we'll we'll probably experiment. You know, maybe maybe reverting here or there as cases may be, and and for excitement on key cards and key sets. Um, 
mean, I do think we like the way in which, like, it, we still can make powerful four mana conditional, like, cards that are, like, almost rest. Like, I'm now blanking on the name of the Origins card that was minus four. Languish. Was, languish. So, you know, Languish is a good example where if we if we continue to, prove, you know, make cards in the, you know, sort of the, the Wrath of God space that making a card like that kind of doesn't make as much sense or it's just worse in black than we're giving in white, which, you know, could also be fine. But, yeah. like... Um, it, it gives us more flexibility that some of the answers aren't completely catch-alls. I mean, right now we're in a, a spot, too, where with vehicles, just wrath effects in general are kind of weaker, and in that sense we could maybe push them a little bit more, because even if you're wrathing your opponent, they're still left with vehicles in play, or gods in play, or, you know, whatever else. Yep. Um, so, a thing that I enjoy about Magic, just in general, is being able to look at color pairs and try to find unique ways of working with them. Like, for example, something that I would like to see is a red-white control deck, maybe in limited work, or maybe in standard work. How do how does R&D feel about kind of changing some things around so that maybe, hey, instead of red-white being completely aggressive, it's now a little bit more controlling, or if we have a blue-black aggressive deck versus a blue-black control deck? Right, yeah, I mean, we do want to play around with that space a lot. Um, again, I, we tend to do that maybe a little bit more in our supplemental-type products. Like, I know I also led development on Conspiracy, and, like, we mm -hmm. tried to do, what, like, a red-white walls <laughs> deck and our defenders deck and, a, like, what was a blue-green collect-me yeah. deck. So, again, like, a little more likely to see that there. I, I think if we can find fun stuff, like, I guess another kind of good example is in... Uh, we had like sort of the green black toughness deck or things a little yeah. bit more off the beaten path um we, we look for that it, the problem is that you still need to find cards that are going to go into a variety of strategies like you know a lot of you know they need to be true to the color pie true of to the colors like red's not really going to want necessarily like a whole bunch of defensive cards in terms of its general play style play style so like and then like if red white is a really controlling deck and then like but the other colors are more aggressive than all the all of those red defensive cards all end up in the red-white deck and they're not yeah. being played by the other colors. And Again, a lot of our job is finding out ways to make cards that can go into multiple strategies. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, we in some ways it's fine, like, oh, red-white color pair is again about, like, aggro beatdown with yeah. combat tricks, and we, we realize we don't want to do that every set and go to that well too much, but um, you know, in, in some ways that is what people that gravitate to those colors might want to do, and of those course. are the colors that are sort of best poised to have, you know, small, good, effective creatures and burn and combat tricks. I know that Mark Rosewater kind of comments a lot that there's a lot more math involved in the job of a designer and a developer than might be at first blush. And as a math major, I can see kind of like, I can just see a spreadsheet of just, well, we have this red common that has to be playable in every red deck, but it has to be certain in other decks, and I don't I don't even want to think about <laughs> the job of having to balance a limited set for draft and figure out that, oh, this card is not working for some reason. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, some of the strategies you mentioned, we, we definitely do want to play up here and there for constructed or, you know, uh, yeah. you know wh whether casual or competitive, where, like, we like there to be sort of big red decks, we call them, or that are trying to, like, play a really big, big Play card. their dragons, yeah, play yeah, their yeah, big thing, right. yeah. Um, so. Okay. Um... Now, we're currently in the middle of round two here at the Pro Tour. Standard's going to be happening here in probably about two to three hours. Have you talked to any of the pros about what they're bringing to the table for Standard here? 
Yeah, I mean, people are not, even with me, who they can most <laughs> hopefully trust with that information. Um, yeah, a lot of people are pretty um, tight-lipped about it. I, I have seen the metagame break down in a lot of the deck lists, so, um, yeah, I have a lot of info on that. Um, Anything surprising? Yeah, there's some definitely some cool decks. Um, again, I don't yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to go too much into it, but yeah, there there's some, there are some cool new things. There's like if, if people have been following the Magic Online constructed five and O decks, like there's a there's a lot of what you might expect based on that. But some people have come up with some cool creative stuff. It's not not a lot of people, but there there's there will be some eye openers uh, to see later. Awesome. So speaking of standard, Almanket hit Magic Online early this time. We yep. got it on the Monday after the pre-release. Two days later, Felidar Guardian got got banned. I know that Wizards takes a lot of... They take their time to figure out whether they want to ban cards. What in those two days really kind of signified, oh, this Sahili combo deck, we can't have it exist? Yeah, I, yeah, I probably can't elaborate a ton on it. I, I, will, I will note, just in terms of seeing people's reactions, again, like... It's not even just so much seeing what that deck was doing, it's seeing what, what the metagame was looking like in other ways. Like, yeah. you know, how, how strong are some of the other decks, or is there a reason to believe that the, the metagame is going to evolve in other ways? It, it wasn't just all about that deck in... Right. Um, you know, it, it, it wasn't, you know, the, the meta, Magic Online data wasn't the only reason that, you know, or the only data that we were relying on. Like, we, we have plenty of other... Of course. ...sources of feedback and whatnot. Yeah. I, for one, am happy that the cat had that the cat is gone, although it will live forever in my commander deck. Um, so the aftermath cards were probably one of the more interesting cards that we got to see, especially with the new with the whole frame treatment. Can you comment a little bit on the design or the development of the aftermath cards? Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of the designs as they came in again came in through Ethan and his team, um, where yeah, there was sort of a one-two combo-ish punch. You know, if you play this and play this on the same turn, like you do something kind of cool or... Um, but yeah, they, they were a ton of fun to work on. Uh, just you, you don't normally get to like do sort of that combo all within one card, especially, yeah. and, uh, you know, especially on the cards that were in different colors and um, naming them was fun. Like sort of working, <laughs> yeah, just working on the concepts. Like I, I know the only card, the only card, I guess it's two names in a way, but yeah, the only card in the whole set that I named that stuck through um, the final product was Mouth Defeat, which was, again, just kind of a ridiculous thing where it's like, yeah, yeah we'll put a hippo mouth on it, and it, yeah, it's, so it sort of sounded all very silly and whatnot, but uh, yeah, they, they were just a lot of fun to, you know, I can think of some cards I designed where, like, I think Commit to Memory I designed, if I'm not mistaken, where it's just like, oh, you can put that down and, like, then time twist yeah. it away before it comes up, or think the rags to riches I also designed where it's like you know just like oh what can we put on the front oh you know how about an infest style of effect yeah. oh now that you wiped out all their creatures like oh well, like we can do a you know an edict style control magic yeah. and you know some of those are tricky like it's not it, some of these are debatably fun to be playing around where it's like alright now, right. my, now my opponent has a, <laughs> a control magic type of effect in their graveyard like what am I supposed to do now that I top deck this yeah. big creature and so yeah, there was a lot of balancing like a lot of our job is figuring out what's fun and making like the stronger cards fun and, mm -hmm. and cards that are maybe a little bit less fun not as pushed for constructed and right. you know we know that cards like that will find a home for other players and like 
even that rags to riches is an example like you know oh how about each of your opponents has to give you a creature mm, and like yeah. get sort of a nod to like realizing it's probably not going to do a lot in, in standard, standard but, but at least it'll find homes elsewhere okay cool um, so cycling has come back uh, for the first time since shards if I'm not mistaken yeah I, I'm not <laughs> even positive yet yeah um why is cycling such a good mechanic to come back? Because every person I've talked to just loved cycling being back in Magic again. Yeah, I mean, cycling, uh, we sort of, re some of our mechanics we refer to as smoothing mechanics. Um, generally, we're talking about things that help you get out of situations where your mana stalled or help reduce the amount of times that you're going to mana flood. Um, right. Or, you know, it's also cases if you are flooding that you have stuff to do, sort of like invokers is what mm -hmm. we often refer to those. Um, so yeah, just making sure, like, yeah, if you're mana short or mana um, flooded, that there are things to do and you don't feel, you know, bad in those situations. So, I mean, so cycling is really good in the, the mana stall situations, like, mm -hmm. you, know, you, you can get out of low mana situations by seeing more cards like it's 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 somewhat akin to scry like scry is sort of what we've gone to as an evergreen thing they work in a little bit of a similar space in that regard um also it's just cycling is kind of fun in that like intentionally it's on a lot of higher mana cards here like cards like lay claim where yeah. like the payout's really big if you get there and you can put more of these in your deck and not just like all right, I have a handful of seven mana cards, and like blue green in the set and limited in particular is supposed to be a bit kind of a ramping strategy. Yep. And a lot of times we do blue green as kind of a ramping thing, and it doesn't quite work because you like get an awkward draw with a, a bunch of the high mana cards. And right. here we're like, you know, we think we can make this work this time because you know you can jam a bunch of lay claims in your yep. deck, and if you draw all those, and you can still cycle them away and get to get to the later parts of the game. Speaking of the blue-green ramp deck, I love the design of Spring to Mind. Yeah. It's just one of my one of the cleanest cards that I've seen. Um, back in Theros, we had Course of Crucifix, yeah. which revealed the top card of your library if it was a land you could play it, and Thoughtseize in the same form. And Mark Rosewater, I believe in one of his articles later on, as Cons was coming out, that Thoughtseize was Course was kind of kind of a mistake, just having standard, having too much open information. Then we have we see Vizier the Menagerie and Amonkhet where it says you may look you don't reveal but you can look at the top part of your library. Is that kind of solving the course of Crucifix problem? That was that was intent. Um, I believe that I was the person that changed the wording on that. Um, yeah, I, I felt pretty strongly that I wanted it to play this way. Um, you know, certainly in some ways this is an experiment. We haven't done that many cards yeah. like this, so I, I will be curious to see how other people respond. Like, I I think most effects that we do like this should be this way. Um, you know, there, there are some concerns with dexterity and manipulation yeah. and, and things like that, but yeah, I, I think it's a real feel-bad. When those cards aren't working for you, it's like, ah, oh, I like, have to reveal, and now you know this is in my hand, and yeah. I didn't get anything out of it, like where the card can actually be, like, almost be, like, have a drawback if you're unlucky, and just, of course. I felt like it was really, yeah, important to avoid that feel-bad, and there's just, there's not really any reason to be giving that information to your opponent, because then we both have to write it down, I have to remember yeah. that you know what's in my hand, <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah. And we avoid all awkward situations at competitive levels. <laughs> um, so, another thing that I've seen people claim before, which Kaladesh solved for a little bit, was finishing uh, dual land cycles. Kaladesh finally saw the fast lands get finished. And now in standard, we have two cycles of ally lands, the battle lands, and the, uh, so what some people have been calling the bicycle lands. I've just been calling them the cycling duels. <laughs> I don't know which one's funnier. 
um, in Allied Colors. Is there a timetable for trying to finish those cycles, or is it more of a, let's wait and see what Standard needs? Yeah, it is the latter there. Yeah, we're, we're mostly in a case of, yeah, what what do we need to add to round out things and keep the best balance of having allied and enemy colors be on somewhat comparable footing. And, you know, there are cases where, like, obviously we couldn't just do cycling lands necessarily in any set. Like, I guess in that sense, yeah, who knows? <laughs> like, but, um, uh yeah, so some some mechanics, you know, sometimes we'll have mechanical tie-ins. I guess it's pretty rare that we have mechanical tie-ins, but, you know, some of it is just gauging, you know, what, what do people respond to as fun lands? Like if, you know, yeah. if, like the Scry lands are great, then, you know, it's it's earlier that we want to make sure we get them out to the public and things like that. Of course. Um, what was your favorite card from Amonkhet as you were pushing it out the door for everyone to, for all of us to enjoy I think Nissa. I mean, I, I'm just a huge fan of X spells. Like, I think half the time I get asked this question, I'll be naming an X spell, and I said, I just enjoy, nothing wrong with X spells. Enjoy the uh, yeah, the dreams to be had there. Um, just think her design is just brings a lot of stuff together. It's cool how her plus ability works with her second ability, and I mean, her her third ability is also kind of crazy, and in some ways not particularly like blue green, but uh, I mean it. It, it, is, it is blue-green, but just doing 10 out of nowhere to your opponent is... Uh, I just read the uh, the M-Files article that uh, your co-worker Sam Stoddard put out today where he mentioned, yeah, I used to do five tutus, and now it's... All right, so Sylvan Advocate was a little <laughs> much. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so real quick, let's just do a quick Amaket Crack-A-Pack we've got here. Um, if you have any stories or any card, things you want to mention about some of the cards, just go ahead and let us know. Uh, the first card we have is Mighty Leap. Which is a pretty cool combat trick. Yeah, we've seen it a lot. I love, yeah, I mean, I think just two mana, plus two, plus two with various upsides are just great for limited. Is it fair that when if white needs a combat trick that this is high on the list for sets that, it, where it's like, we need to reprint a combat trick. Oh, we have Mighty Leap. That we yeah, need. it's pretty high. Yeah. All right. Uh, another card, we have Ancient Crab, who blocks a lot of things and holds a lot of minus one, minus one counters. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we got our. You're paying for the the UU here. You get sort of a one five. I mean, there are a lot of high toughness things. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, need some stuff to slow down the format. I mean, exert in many ways is really good at getting through these types of creatures. So, yeah. like we, they're in some cases like a little better than normal. Like you got your one B one four and your two dub two four, which yeah. are not cards we've made before. <laughs> Uh, next one we have is Minotaur Sure Shot, continuing the tradition of red reach creatures, and people still forget that red have reach. Yeah, actually, this is another thing that was sort of, I feel like, part of my personal agenda, where it's <laughs> like, you know, we have this pretty awesome keyword, we don't use it that much, um, you know, like, I feel like this shores up some of the, the weaknesses of, of red and, yeah. like, just help out limited. Uh, our first Embalm card, we have Anointer Priest, which synergizes well since you're making tokens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're yeah definitely calling out tokens here. Um, that's sort of where the the white blue limited decks ended up in terms of putting focus on cards was on tokens as opposed to zombies, which would get a little bit confusing since zombies is more where we wanted the yeah. white black specifically to be working. So next we have Soul Stinger, which is probably one of the more interesting cards that you mentioned before with wanting to put the counters on either itself or other creatures. Soul Stinger is actually one of the few cards that pays you off for putting the counters on itself. Right, yeah, definitely, yeah. You usually want to put the counters there. Like Again, this is one of the more complicated commons and, again, sort of contentious internally where it's like, 
not all of our comments need to be you know super simple and like again yeah the main usage here is you're really just going to be putting it on itself next we have apparently for the first first time in a actual expansion set that's not a core set giant spider yeah, I'm a fan of the spider. Um, yeah, it's not not as strong uh, and limited as it once was, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice fit here. And, and blocks a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, we have Unwavering Initiate. I keep wishing that this was a 2-3 instead of a 3-2, but I feel like that, that would be a little... Yeah, I mean, the, sort of the point with Embalm, I mean, I don't know how entirely true this was by the end of things, but I mean, we do want to give them lower toughnesses so that they die and you can use their Embalm ability. Yeah. Uh, Trespasser's Curse, which is a card that I've never played in Limited, but I know that cards like this, especially Curses, have fans that people just, they just want to see these cards again. Yeah, I mean, this is a card often, I mean, I think most of the pros and articles tell you not to play this card, and I don't necessarily disagree with them, but, you know, I was talking with even just a co-worker who was like, I put like six of these in a deck, and it's, you know, I think he said he went 2-1 in a league, and this is a card that's, yeah. not, that's no joke. At some point, you really start to, you have to respect put it. the pinch on your opponent. Uh, next one is Final Reward. Um, just... Just a year ago, we had Oblivion Strike, which was this card except Devoid, and four mana sorcery. Now we have Final Reward, five mana instant, exile a creature. Yeah, I mean, we, we play around in this space a lot where the words are sometimes just doing specifically what we might need to balance out colors or address issues. Um, like, what, I'm trying to think now if it was in Dragon or Fate Reforged, where it was like destroy a. Like a creature that had oh. one or more colors or wasn't colorless or something like that. There was so, yeah. Radiant Herd. I oh, know you put uh, Ultimate Price in Dragon. That's what it was. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, at common though, there was a card that like couldn't kill morphs but could kill kind of anything yeah. else. Um, but again, one of the main notes here is just Exile. Like Exile was really important as an answer to Gods, and Exile was also important as an answer to Embalm. So uh, we have Evolving Wilds with good art. Yeah. Uh, I'm of the opinion that every block needs an Evolving Wilds. I don't know where R&D sits on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Evolving Wilds is great other than the shuffling part. I mean, I yeah. think a lot of people who know me and my take on things is just I'm I'm very anti-shuffling. <laughs> like, I, like, it is downtime for our game. Yeah. It's downtime for our fans watching coverage. So, don't love it, but it is it is just, you know, it's at the right power level and, like, it does what we want it to do. But, I mean, yeah, we, we often look for ways to kind of do this without shuffling where possible. Right. Like, something like the the filtering lands is it painted bluffs in the set or whatever it's right. like you know unfortunately that's maybe not quite as strong a color fixing as we'd like to give and this yeah. is more more close to it onto the uncommons we have zenith seeker one of the cycling payoffs yeah. but coincidentally apparently better not in the blue black cycling deck yeah, I mean, this is the type of card often you want to play with, like, big ground creatures, so in, in many cases it'll pair better with big ground green creatures yeah. or something. Uh, next we have Synchronized Strike, a combat trick that has been blowing me out and I've been blowing people out with the entire time that, that I've been playing this format. Yeah, I mean, this was meant to be the strongest green uncommon, and it sounds like it is yep. from talking with people. So. Uh, next we have Destined to Lead. Our, one of our aftermath cards. The first one that we saw, actually, I believe. Yeah, Destiny Lead, yeah. I mean, this is a great example of, yeah, if you can play these at the same time, it's great together. Yeah, yeah. it's a cool card. And then our rare is Liliana's Mastery. We want You want a zombie payoffs. There you go. Yeah, this is the the zombie lord in enchantment form. A card card we'll see a lot of this weekend. Um, gives, the, gives the deck some reach. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how many times we've done, like, sort of a... Lords like this, but yeah, it's, it's a cool card. I'm glad. I'm glad how it's working out and constructed. So, if you're drafting, do you just take the Liliana's Master here? I think so. I, I was yeah busy uh, 
I mean, again, Synchronized Strike is pretty close here, too. Yeah. It's definitely one of those two cards. I would take the Mastery just because I like to take Rares, but... Uh, rares I, tend I, I to be feel, powerful. I feel, yeah, you'd be pretty happy taking either of those oh, yeah. cards. Well, Dave, thank you very much for your time. Thanks. And have a good time here in Nashville. Yes. After talking with Dave, I had the distinct pleasure of chatting with Elaine Chase. John here sitting down with Elaine Chase. Now, let, let me make sure I get your title right. Vice President of Global Brand Strategy and Marketing. That is correct. You said it better than me. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> uh, I was thinking earlier, I know Elaine has a big title. What is it again? Um, <laughs> so what is it that you do for Magic at Wizards? So I'm basically in charge of the magic business. So I have a, a full team of folks that represent the brand team, the community teams, PR, marketing teams um, that help set the global strategy and direction for magic. Okay. Um, and uh, we looked it up earlier. You've been working at Wizards since 1999. That is correct. That is a long time to yeah. be with one, in one place. You're going to give away how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to. I'm trying really hard not to. That's quite all right. Um, so what did you do before you were big VP? Um, well, I've done lots of things at Wizards. Um, so before I came to Wizards, um, I was a Magic player. I yep. love Magic. Um, I played in a couple of Pro Tours um, as a level 3 judge and did a lot of judging. Mm -hmm. um, and I was a substitute teacher. had my education degree and was in that, after you graduate, usually to be a teacher, yeah. you do a couple years subbing before you get your full-time you know, position. Of course. So I was in that little sub window. Um, and uh, during that time, I started working for Great Matter Conventions, who ran all the PTQs and pre-releases and stuff in the Northeast area, um, you know, New York and expanded. Um, and uh, kind of from there, that's how I got my in into Wizards, which was great. My okay. first my first job was DCI Policy Manager, um, mm -hmm. where I was in charge of like the tournament floor rules, and I did all the investigations into people when they cheated and things like that. Which are always fun. Those were super <laughs> fun. Um, I have some stories for there that I cannot tell you, but of course there's, not. <laughs> there's some good stuff there. Um, I did that for almost two years, and then I moved into R&D, and then I worked in uh, Magic R&D. R&D and TCG R&D for four years. Oh, wow. Um, so I worked on a bunch of magic sets, but I was also lead developer on a bunch of licensed products, like Neopets and Simpsons and of Harry Potter, of my favorite, um, and a bunch of other things. Um, and then uh, I moved into the brand team um, over 10 years ago now. So what does, the, what does the brand team do that we, the audience, kind of see? as the final product of a magic set. Yeah, so what the brand team does, I actually get this question a lot, so people are like, what does brand do? Um, even people in the company are like, what does brand do? Um, so uh, what brand does is a couple things. One is uh, we kind of set the tone for the business overall, and so lots of the things you'll see both in products and in themes and in marketing, um, the brand team sets the strategy around, okay, what kind of product do we need to make? Oh, well, you know what? We should make a pre-made deck product that is for this kind of audience, that's at this kind of price point, that we can sell at these kind of channels, right? We kind of set the business needs for that, that then R&D and our CAPS team, which is what we call our creative production services, who does all of our packaging and, and production and things like that, mm -hmm. they go figure out what's the best way to deliver against that. Um, so we kind of set those beginning things up. And then also when we go to things like, oh, we're an almond cat now, um, we help uh, set the tone for what we're going to talk about in marketing. So R&D creates the wonderful sets, obviously, mm -hmm. um, and their world building team is an amazing job creating fantastic worlds and settings and storylines. Um, and what our job is kind of take those themes and distill it down into, okay, how do we present this to folks? What do we say about it? How do we market it? What do we choose for our marketing images? Um, things like Ramakut amplifying the trials and things right. like that. That all comes from the brand team. Uh, so what's an average day in the life of Elaine Chase? <laughs> so whenever I interview people, I tell them when they're joining my team um, that most of the time they'll come to work and have expected about 5% of their day. 
And the other 95% is the unexpected stuff. Um, so the brand team is really like the quarterback for okay. the entirety of the company. So whenever anybody has something that's out of the ordinary or a question or something weird happens or there's an emergency or things like that, Brandon's team that gets brought in and does that. Okay. So my day is usually a lot of meetings. <laughs> I understand that there's a lot of meetings that go on in Wizards. Yes. <laughs> um, so let's talk magic. You said you're a magic player. Mm -hmm. How do you like to play magic the most? I love to draft. Okay. In fact, one of my personal goals was to have enough people working for me that I can draft whatever I want to. <laughs> I've succeeded. <laughs> Seems like a good, good goal. <laughs> So, what is your uh, what's your favorite color in Magic? Because every Magic player, you know, I've got this favorite card, this favorite deck. What are some of your favorites from playing with the cards? So, um, my first favorite card was Moat from Legends. You're that kind of person. I am. <laughs> um, and the reason why is because uh, I'm an unusual case. Um, my now husband, who has been my boyfriend, we taught ourselves how to play Magic, which mm. I know is a very unusual thing, from a revised rule book. Of course. Which is an even more unusual thing. Um, and I remember reading the rules, and there was a line that just said, flying creatures can block non-flying creatures, but non-flying creatures can't block flying creatures. And I thought to myself, well, why would you ever play with anything that didn't fly, right? Fair. Because why? Exactly. I mean, I didn't know, like, costing and, you know, that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. But, but, I mean, why would you play with anything else? So my first bunch of decks were all flying creatures, and Moat came out, and I was just like, oh, and Moat. So that was my first favorite card. <laughs> I actually have the original sketch hanging in my house. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I know I know somebody on Twitter who I follow would really love to uh, maybe get a picture of that. I don't know. I'm sure <laughs> you're familiar with uh, Mike Lenneman. Yes. Yes. Uh, all of his MTGR stuff is fantastic. Um... So, you said you're a big fan of draft. Mm -hmm. Would you like to do a quick pack one, pick one? Oh, yeah. I happen to have a bunch of. Oh, man, look packs. at that. You came prepared. I try to. <laughs> I actually got a fat pack, or a bundle, sorry. They're bundles now. Um, before the event started, I was like, I'm just going to see how many people will let me do pack one, pick ones with them. Okay. And crack the pack. So, uh, we've got Hieroglyphic Illumination. I, I, I saw there was some crazy draft deck of that today. Oh man, I I saw the picture from the Pro yeah. Tour uh, Twitter account where it was like yes. three foil Magnus sprays, and then what, it was like seven it, foils of those? Something like that. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty great. Uh, we have Cartouche of Zeal, okay. which is probably the vocabulary word of the set. Cartouche <laughs> yes. or Zeal? Yes. <laughs> Both. No. <laughs> I actually had a, a small debate with one with uh, the owner of my LGS. Because he's an art, he was an art major, and he was like, cartouches aren't these little symbols, they're things that go around names. Um, but I don't know. I don't know who's in charge of names. <laughs> uh, we have Cartouche of Solidarity. Okay. We have the Cartouche of Knowledge. We have a, we have a three of a kind. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have Corey Hall. That, that one's a hand in something, right? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's magic, though. Uh, we have Wander and Death, Winds of Rebuke, Unwavering Initiate, uh, Trespasser's Curse... Final reward. Um, now this is weird because I did a crackback earlier with Dave Humphreys, and we had unwavering initiate, trespassers, curse, and final reward all in order. And that really, well. all right, yes. okay. So we're we're on a little bit of a, uh, a print run, I suppose. Okay. Uh, we have Manglehorn. Okay. Uh, we have Lay Bear the Heart, uh, and Chef at Monitor as our uncommons, and then our rare is a card that I've seen a lot of people play, but I'm not sold on myself, which is the Throne oh, of the God yeah, Pharaoh. Look at that. May his return come quickly. Maybe maybe be found worthy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
I, I think I take the final reward in this. Yeah, I think so too. Um, um, I, I, I draft creature removal a lot. In fact, I may have told some people on my team in their goals that they need to do better at drafting creature removal. I did. I did my first team draft of Amonkhet, and oh, wow. I got I got a, I got a fifth pick magma spray. Oh wow! And then a sixth pick magma spray. Oh no! And I had started trying to draft mummies, and I'm like, guys, come on. <laughs> You're killing me. This is, this is when you sit down with the team and go, guys, listen. Yeah. <laughs> we need to talk about something. It's affecting your job performance. Um, so yeah, I think that was pretty pretty clear. Final yeah. award. Shepard Monitor is also one of my favorites. It's, it's done a lot of cool things for me. I'm doing a lot of cool things in Standard right now, too. I have noticed it. It's showing up in some uh, some pretty cool decks. Yeah, the New, new, new Perspectives deck seems that kind of... interesting. I'm kind of <laughs> curious if it, if it makes any breakthrough this weekend or not. Maybe I would love to see it do well, but then again, I'm, I also love Storm, mm -hmm. so I'm that kind of person. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Where it's like I don't want to do, I just don't want to <laughs> interact with you at all. Yes. Um, so that was fun, and we're here at the Pro Tour. We're in the middle of round six. What does the Pro Tour mean uh, to you? So to me personally, um, the Pro Tour means an awful lot. Um, I I go way back. I played in the very first Pro Tour um, in New York in 1990. Um, I believe that's the, the I believe year, that's yes. what it was. Um, I played in the very first Pro Tour. Um, I got into that one because um, most of the registration on that was just like dialing in yeah. and calling in. I remember hearing the stories about yeah, that. Yeah, and it was kind of like Ticketmaster, like before the internet was a thing, you used to have to actually like call in a phone, mm -hmm. and not a cell phone, mind you, like a phone. <laughs> um, and so you dial the number, there's a button called redial, and so yes. you press the button, it would redial, and so basically to get like concert tickets or anything, you'd just be like dial, and then hang up, redial, beep, beep. Hang up, read up, be, be, hang up, read up. Right. So I used those skills that I had honed yes. <laughs> um, to get uh, a seat at the Pro Tour, which was great. Um, and uh, the funny thing back then is uh, I I played until I was out of contention for making the cutoff. Mm -hmm. um, and then I stopped and I went to go get lunch. And Brian David Marshall was like, oh, you should keep playing because, you know, way more, you know, there's an invites to the next one. Yeah. Um, and I was like, are you kidding? I'm starving. I'm going to go eat lunch. There's not going to be a next one. Uh, and so I left. And then, of course, I spent the next couple of years trying to get back on the Pro Tour. Of course. <laughs> Which I did, but still. Um, so for me, um, the Pro Tour is really just such a great community um, and a, a real tight, close-knit group of people from all over the world who are coming together to play their favorite game. Okay. Um, I mean, that's what Magic does best, right? It brings yeah. people together through their love of games. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Um, yep. And the fact that you can have so many people from so many different countries and cultures and languages all get together and enjoy the same thing at once yeah. and become really a group of friends that way is really just an amazing experience. Yeah, I love how, like, with the new team series, which I don't know if Brand had a big part in it, but I'm assuming it probably had at least a little hand in it. Being able to see all these multicultural teams, multinational teams, is really awesome. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, so, do you have a favorite behind-the-scenes story uh, that you can share with us? If you can't, that's obviously fine. So, I'll be honest and say my favorite behind-the-scenes moments probably are inappropriate for me to share. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, um, the one thing I'm really proud about in what I do and what Wizards does um, and what Magic does and what D&D does and the games yeah. that we all make um, is uh, the most moving moments for me um, are every once in a while, once every couple of years or so, um, we get a visit from Make-A-Wish and we get a Make-A-Wish kid who comes into the office. That's always and awesome. And it is just the most moving thing to think that out of everything that this is the thing that's going to just make someone happy 
right? And it can bring that kind of joy um, to, a, to a child and a family um, in that awful situation. Um, and it really just brings that meaning together of, of what it is that we do. Yeah. Well, Elaine, thank you so much for joining me. Before you leave, favorite card in Amonkhet? Oh, uh, the Cat Lord. Ah, uh, yes, Regal Caracal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have three cats. Okay. I have a 10-year-old daughter, mm -hmm. and I'm building her a cat deck. Wonderful. And it's going to be awesome, because it's about time there's been a Cat Lord. <laughs> I'm allergic to cats, so I will abstain from any further comments. That's fair. <laughs> Elaine, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. And finally, rounding out our Wizards trio, I sit down with the executive producer of the Pro Tour, Greg Collins. John here sitting down with executive producer of the Pro Tour, Greg Collins. Greg, nice to meet you. Great to be here. I understand that you are a very busy man during <laughs> oh, the Pro Tour. Yes, yeah, so these weekends it's uh, I sort of put a headset on and then disappear for about, oh, 72 hours. <laughs> um, so how long have you worked at Wizards? Uh, so I started in 2004. Okay. Uh, I was on originally on the web team doing... Uh, event managing all the event coverage, but back then it was primarily text coverage, right? Uh, which was actually my background. And uh, and then as video grew and grew, I just took on more and more of those responsibilities. And by now, when we're managing you know these three-day pro tour streams and you know thirty-some odd GP streams a year, uh, most of my focus is on video production now. All right, so that's your number one job, Wizards, making sure that the product we see on Twitch is what Wizards wants it to be. Right. Yeah. So it's. Manage the content, the commentators, the schedule, which events we go to, you know, vendors we're using, um, and then uh, making sure we're also staying on top of okay, what what what's the community interested in? Um, you know, make sure we're on top of archetypes, getting input from R and D because they're like, okay, here's what we think is going to be happening with this format, or what we think is going to be with this draft uh, draft format, and uh, sort of putting that all into a giant blender, and then. Roughly 45 weekends a year, we turn the stream on and see what comes out. So, I know a bunch of the uh, commentators came in on Monday. Uh, I guess a bunch of your people came in around Monday, Tuesday as well to right. get started. Yeah, so uh, for this year, we've, the schedule laid out nicely so that there's a lot of Grand Prix pretty close to the Pro Tour location. So I'll try to bring the commentators that I send to the GP straight into the PT city so they can get adjusted, you know, they've just come from the Grand Prix and they want to sort of distill what they learned out of that to take into the Pro Tour. And then the production team from Wizards of the Coast and then uh, our various vendors start showing up on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, we set up the, the venue uh, midweek and then by Thursday afternoon when we open it for registration. Everything's shiny and ready to go. So Pro Tour ends on Sunday, and I'm Correct. sure there's a big breakdown day. Yes. When do you get back into Seattle? So I'll uh, I'll leave on Monday. Uh, my work basically ends Sunday night, and then uh, the production crew here will break down Sunday night into Monday morning. Back in the office, usually on Tuesday, to sort of do the aftermath of, hey, what did we just learn from this Pro Tour? Get reports back to people in the office who weren't necessarily on site. Uh, and then hopefully, sort of maybe Wednesday or Thursday, take a bit of a breather, uh, but then get right back into the next weekend because we've got a Grand Prix. Right. Like this for this week, uh, right after Pro Tour Amiket, or we're streaming in Grand Prix Montreal. So we want to take the things that we've learned from this Pro Tour and immediately adjust what our content plan might be for Montreal. It's standard, so like, okay, what are the standard decks that came out? What are the things that might be tweaked for those that we're already seeing on Magic Online? That sort of stuff, to be on top of that story. So one of the big changes from previous seasons of Pro Tour to this season is that you announced a big partnership with Twitch. Right. How has that impacted your job or how the production goes? 
So uh, it's been great so far. The how it's impacted my job is um, we've looked a little bit more at what production things we can do. Uh, one of the first things we've seen is um, we've been adding in a little bit more content during our ad breaks for people who are subscribers to the channel or have Twitch Prime or Amazon Prime. Um, that just tells a little bit more of the story behind the event. Like you'll see standings, you'll see um, you know trivia things like that. Um, we're still figuring out the relationship with them sort of on a month-to-month, week-to-week process, but they have so much expertise in streaming that we're just sort of dipping our toe into that right now, and I, I think we're going to get a lot more partnership with them on, hey, what can we look, do long-term to see how we want to develop our streams, develop content. Um, one of the things we tried, uh, it's not really aligned with uh, event streaming, but we did a, a preview stream from the office right before the full cards, full card list for Amaket was revealed. Right, where we had Mark Rosewater, Dave Humphreys, and Mark Winters from the creative team, uh, and they got to talk about all the things about Amaket, and nothing was off limits because we knew the card set was just about to be revealed. Uh, and that was a cool little area that we want to start exploring. Where what sort of video streaming content can we do from the office or from other things that aren't necessarily tied to a pro tour or a grand prix? But still, it's cool content that the community wants to, to find out about. Like, you know, at any point we can turn our channel on, right? It's there waiting for us, and it doesn't just have to be on weekends. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what we can explore there with Twitch. Uh, now, a lot of people like to be critical of some of the Magic coverage or just very enthusiastic about it. Exactly. And you mentioned before that you like to take in feedback from the community. Um, What's the next big step, or what's something on your wish list to add to Magic Coverage? That's a great question. Um, I think the, the few of the adjustments we made this year, um, in terms of sort of the graphic presentation, uh, we debuted the Advantage Bar in Dublin, and we refined it for Nashville to try and give a sense. If you're maybe watching out of the corner of your eye, or you don't really know deeply how these decks work, um, sometimes life totals can't actually be the accurate indicator of who's winning. So uh, looking for things like that that aid the viewer a little bit so they don't have to sort of necessarily have their full attention or be you know, a 10-year player who regularly, you know, three ones their F&Ms or something like that right. to be able to follow coverage. Because ultimately we want to broaden the, the scope of what we do so that it's accessible for more Magic players. We understand that this is a complicated game, and when you're f- watching the best players in the world play a pretty complicated game, it can get pretty deep. And right. we want to make sure that we're maintaining that level of sort of high-level strategy and analysis, but not overdoing it. So I like the advantage bar uh, for uh, for this Pro Tour. We're trying a couple different things with draft coverage and how we break down what a good draft deck looks like, what the draft deck that somebody just drafted, how it came together. Um, to try and give a little more of those lessons of what can I take away from Limited to go play better at my local game store or with my, my home friends. Um, the constructor rounds do that pretty well because you can see deck lists and you know, okay, that's a repeatable deck. Yeah. No, no one's ever going to... We just watched... Uh, it's Saturday morning here. We just watched Chris Fennell uh, draft at the top table. You're never going to have that exact yeah. array of cards and so you're not going to be able to say, oh, I'm going to draft that deck specifically. So we're looking at lessons that we can pull out of that and try and make make it entertaining and informative and, and just 
new ways to visualize that sort of content. I mean, from my perspective, I know that I will never have the same 23 or 24 spells that the pros have right. that, that I'll get at my local game store. And in GP Richmond, we saw that where someone had three prepared to fights in the same draft deck, which was kind of silly. Yes. <laughs> I had two in a sealed pool. Uh, the first sealed pool that I played at Amaket, I had two. And I hadn't played with the set at all. I'm like, well, this looks like a pretty good card. <laughs> and it was. Surprise, surprise. Surprisingly uh, enough. But yeah, like um, the, the approach that we can try to take, like you say, you're never going to have those 23 cards. Um, you know, when you're going to a deck, you're making, you know, 40 some odd decisions. When you're playing constructed, it's like, okay, your main decision is what deck am I going to play? Mm-hmm. When you're drafting, it's like there's so many potential decision points. It doesn't quite come out to be the same. This is the lesson you can take, like you can with a, a standard deck tech. So we're, we're playing around with that sort of stuff, and, and certainly interested to hear how the fans liked the the sort of the new approaches that we took for this pro tour. I for one really liked the, how the limited rounds have been approached. For one, I like all that content. My only like small gripe is on when you see, we have the games up and you have player name, player team, and then their standard deck, and it goes off the... I'm sure yeah. that's already been brought to your attention. Yes, yes. so that was a... We, we don't see the stand, the names for their decks basically until we start the standard rounds and the way the graphics are laid out. Um, it's like, okay, we plug in a team name, it's a really long one, Channel Fireball Fire, and the player is playing Team or Etherworks Marvel. Yeah. Okay, suddenly that's a senior <laughs> character limit, so uh, yeah, we're going to make sure like where the opportunistic point is to abbreviate those deck names yeah. that are understandable, but yeah, certainly like you've you've keyed into one of the challenges <laughs> that I face of managing that information in those graphics. Like, name is important, life toll is important, team is really important, because the team series is such a big part of the pro tour yeah. this year. Deck name is really important. I do like the, the addition record, of, the, of the round time. Yeah. Right yeah, second, though. That was also figure, really nice. Figuring out how to get that in there and also manage with, with where we want the advantage bar to be and what round it is and what format yeah. it is. And, and then when extra turns come up, where those fit <laughs> in. So there's all these little tiny graphics things, and we want to try and minimize that space as much as possible because we want to be able to show the table, right? Yeah. Because like, that's, that's where the action's happening. All right, well, Greg, thank you very much. Uh, what's what's one thing that you want people to take away from this pro tour before we before we close? Uh, so I, I think that the limited format looks really cool. Uh, I'm ex- like coverage. We do ten to twelve hours a day, and the first thing a lot of us do when we get back to the hotel is now we want to draft because we get that <laughs> that real real cool vibe. Um, so I'll give you two. Actually, I'll give you that one and. Um, I'm really curious to see how the rest of Standard plays out today. Yeah. See what decks rise to the top because, I mean, everybody knows that that's been a pretty hot-button topic for what the environment is for the last few months. Uh, and it's always this sort of, like, Christmas morning moment at a Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we going to unwrap? Usually it's really sweet. And so I, I think we saw some really interesting decks yesterday, and then we'll just see how they rise to the top today and what makes them the top eight. All right, great. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank you, John. And that does it for talking to the Wizards personnel at Pro Tour Amonkhet. Once again, thanks to Dave Humphreys, Elaine Chase, and Greg Collins for taking the time out of their busy days to sit down and talk with me. Uh, if you want to listen to more of what I have, what I had discovered at the Pro Tour, you can follow the pro, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Eyes on the Mize. You can follow myself on Twitter at jwiley129. And if you want to catch up with how Ian is doing, you can find him on Twitter at dixonij on Twitter. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to y'all next time.